You're listening to The Jeff Fisher Show. This last week, I have tried to finish a book that I, I I can't finish. I haven't finished. I haven't found the time to finish it. But where I'm at is amazing. This story is it's fascinating. It's called American Hippopotamus. It's by John Muellum, and it's on atavis.com. It's like, I don't know, three or four bucks or whatever for the book. But uh, now I haven't finished it yet. And I mean, I know how it ends, right? I mean, we all know how it ends. But uh, getting there is the story. Now, the story, well, uh, the, the story intertwines the lives of two men. One was uh, Frederick Russell Burnham and Fritz Duquesne, D-U-Q-E-S-N-E. Now, Fritz is kind of a bad guy. He's known as the Black Panther of the Veld. And at one point, um, Frederick and Fritz were both commissioned to kill each other. But at one point in their lives, they come together and... Burnham, you know, he was a patriot, he was American, integrity, and Duquesne was this bad guy. Just, you know, pathological liar, megalomaniac, bad guy. But they came together for one this one cause. Now, Burnham was this guy. I mean, I'm going to read you a little bit from the book on Burnham. This guy was amazing. Frontiersman, soldier of fortune, Spent his life leaping into conflicts with American Indians and uh, uh, colonial wars in Africa. He was a scout, uh, you know, uh, kind of like a military war scout, um, spy. They slinked into enemy territory to gather intelligence or cut supply lines. And uh, he... uh, I mean, he knew how to live on his own out in the out in the woods, right? Out in the wilderness. He, in this uh, from the book, uh, he has trained himself to endure the most appalling fatigues, hunger, thirst, and wounds. Has subdued the brain to infant patience. Has learned to force every nerve in his body to absolute obedience. To still even the beating of his heart. He reads the face of nature as you read your morning paper. That's what this was a story on him from this uh, newspaper guy, Richard Harding Davis. Now I'm starting to have reading this story makes me have a little bit of optimism for the country because this country has been in uh, turmoil, you know, for well forever, and we've come through it, right? So uh, one acquaintance, one of my favorite lines, one acquaintance called him. Uh, the most complete human being who ever lived. And the cool th- this guy, <laughs> this is how amazing this guy was. He was the inspiration uh, for the Boy Scouts and Indiana Jones. I, you know, I mean, this guy was unbelievable. And he, it started, his family moved out west. They were somewhere in the middle of the country. I don't know, Iowa, up some Iowa, Missouri, Wisconsin, somewhere in there. And his dad had an accident and... Screwed up his breathing, so they moved out west to California with the wife, and he had a brother and a sister, and I don't know how many. I don't know how many were in his brood. And they went to California, and then the dad uh, died, and he was fourteen. So the mom packed up and went back to 
wherever they came from, or to her family in the in the Midwest. And he was like, you know what? No, uh, I'm going to stay here. And so at 14, he's riding the Pony Express delivering mail in California. And he was like one of the best. He would ride and ride and ride. And he did that for a while. And then part of some of his family in the back, in, out back in the Midwest were worried about him. They were worried for his soul. They were, he talked about how religious they were. So they sent for him. And he was like, okay, I'll go back. Fine. I'll go back. So he goes back. And he's there for a short period of time. And he's like, I have got to get out of here. These people are driving me insane. So he sneaks away, and he ends up in the great state of Texas. And he gets in with these old cowboys and old war men who had fought the Indians and fought all over the country, and they were all old now, right? And some of the, most of the wars were over for them. And they were just they had learned how to live on their own and out in the woods, and he just stayed with them. He stayed with one particular old guy. I forget his name. And this old guy just took him under his wing and taught him everything and showed him, you know, showed him how to live on his own and sent him out and made him do things and suffer and learn how to, how to take care of himself. And then, uh, and so in the, after all of this, uh, I guess we later find out too, that, uh, while he was back in the Midwest from after California, he I guess he met some girl and fell in love. And then when he snuck away later on in, I don't know how many years, he sent for her. And they were, you know, together for forever. But in the late 1800s and the early 1900s, the U.S. was changing so fast and growing. And the population was growing that we had a huge meat shortage. Did you know that? I didn't. And so they were struggling uh, the government and the people were trying to figure out what to do uh, restaurants were setting the prices were going through the roof the country was thinking about considering dogs to eat they were they didn't know what to do right and he thought of the idea of breeding hippopotamuses in the united states import hippopotamuses from africa set them in the swamplands along the Gulf Coast, raise them for food, and turn America into a nation of hippo ranchers. Now, in fact, during this time, a congressman, this, uh, what was his name, Congressman uh, Broussard, I think, or something like that, he dispatched an agent who was raised in Africa down to the south of the United States to study the feasibility of hippos in the swamps. And he wrote a big report uh, titled um, Why and How to Place Hippopotamuses in the Louisiana Lowlands. And he concluded that it would be perfect. I mean, they started calling it Lake Cow Bacon. Right? How cool is that? Now, like I said, right? I mean, we, we know how it turned out. One of the fascinating stories inside of this is that, and we we a little bit of it from David Barton, uh, yesterday on Glenn's show when he talked about how Islam was woven into the fabric of the U.S. the way President Obama had said. And we found out that, well, they were really woven into the fabric of the U.S. because they were the slave traders and got the slaves. 
Uh, yeah. But we did know that there were uh, some Muslims, and this would be you know in the 1800s sometime, uh, I'm not sure of the year, when uh, they brought in camels from Africa to fight the Indians and do some battles in the desert, which this Burnham saw and was a little bit a part of because Jefferson Davis, who later fought for the South, uh, was a battle warrior and was up in Alaska and came back to the deserts to fight, and he was a part of bringing the camels to the U.S., or at least they were there and he was going to use them. And uh, in the book, David talked about how they were too slow and uh, they were called nicknames and stuff, but in the book on uh, American Hippopotamus, they talk about how the soldiers uh, laughed at the guys that were ordered to ride the, the camels in the desert that the guys wouldn't ride them. They were like, I'm not riding that. These guys are all making fun of me. I'm just riding this slow, this slow hippo in the middle of the desert. I'm not riding that. So they were left to wander, right? And we found out from David Barton that that's where some of the Muslims came into the U.S. because they were commissioned to take care of the camels since they knew how to raise them and train them, feed them, that kind of thing. So later on in the book, it talks about Burnham uh, going out because they were just they were left to wander, left to roam. Uh, in the desert of the U.S. So he later went with, I don't know if it was him or the other, or Fritz. Anyway, they ended up uh, getting some money because they went back out and rounded up as many of the camels as they could find that were left wandering around. Anyway, that's <laughs> American. I mean, that's where I'm at. Uh, yeah, I still have a little ways to go. I'm not sure how far I've got to go in this book. I just keep... I start reading it and something comes up and I have to put it down. I mean, I'll let you know how it ends. I mean, you know how it ends. We are, you know, the commercial, commercial doesn't say hippo, it's what's for dinner. So, I mean, we know how it ends. But it's fascinating, and this uh, John Mellon has done a, a great job with American Hippopotamus. So if you have an opportunity, it's you know it's short, good read. And you may actually have some time in your life snowed in. Purchase American Hippopotamus. And take the time and read it in front of the fireplace, and say to yourself, "Wow, the commercial actually could have said hippo." It's what's for dinner.